0: Yeah, so the two main jobs that we have in front of us is to get ourselves into a state of joy, and then the second job is to learn to, to maintain that state. Now, we can see that from a variety of different places in the suttas and other things like that, that this is something that is kind of part of the package deal. And so we see it in many different cases. One of them is that there is a sutta, and that sutta, um, though it's only talking about the first, four, the first jhana, there are no suttas that go for corresponding other jhanas. Only this applies to the first jhana. Um, and there's possibly some good reason for that. Which we'll discuss, but the but the way that this sutta is is set up is is that the student should develop, or the task at hand is to develop the getting into the first jhana that we become skillful at entering the first jhana. So rather than having it once now and once next week or whatever, we're actually developing the skill to get into the jhana. And then the second is to develop the skill of maintaining the first jhana. And then the third skill, which needs a lot of discussion, is to be able to skillfully leave the first jhana. And we need to talk about that because, in fact, um, Most people can very easily leave the first jhana. They don't need any skill at that at all. All they have to do is not be be able to sustain it. So what does it mean to get into it, to sustain it, in the sense of getting into it as a skill, to be mastered? The mastery of the skill of being able to enter the first jhana would basically mean that as soon as you think about it, you've got the factors together that you can collect and within that first in breath, you can be in that first jhana. That would be the skill of first of entering first jhana. Then the skill of maintaining the, the first jhana is what we're actually going to be talking about today. Is the things that it need that it would take to maintain this first jhana, knowing that if hindrances re-arise. that the the mind will return to a state of ordinary and that will have unsatisfactoriness feelings that we don't want to have thoughts that are junk thoughts and we're back into the ordinary world again. But this this state of first jhana has the state where we're free from the hindrances, we're free from suffering, we are able to use the brain, the mind, we can see clearly, we can apply the mind to things we want to apply it to, and we can, with the skill, sustain the mind on things that are worth sustaining on. Okay? So, what then would be the skill of coming out of the first jhana could only be the skill of entering the second jhana? And in fact, there's an actual procedure that can be done to do that. But that in fact, the the quality of the work that we're going to sustain that first jhana are the very skills that we'll need then to enter into the second jhana in the following way. This is all mostly about thought, but it's not just thought. It also has feeling thought. A combination together. But when we use the word thought, we're talking about basically any activities of the mind that are associated with thoughts and feelings that are not first jhana kind of thoughts and feelings. They're ordinary thoughts and feelings. Ordinary feelings like anger, sadness, fear, guilt, dissatisfaction, to where the thoughts that would be associated with freedom and also first jhana would be the thoughts of satisfaction, of uh, uh, safety, security, comfort, the state of liking it, the state of being free from suffering. So this state of first jhana is, in fact, something useful and valuable and wholesome, and we should develop getting into this state and we should develop being able to maintain it, which actually means that we're beginning to develop the ability to control what the mind is doing. So it basically is a follow on, if, if if we are very excellent in getting into first jhana, then maintaining the first jhana is is very much like just getting into it and back in it and back in it and back in it, okay? It's about the same thing, but it has this quality of being able to keep the mind on something to focus it. Now, I'm very reluctant to use the word concentration here because that's going to take all of the meditators who think they know what they're doing right down their own rabbit hole. Because we're not trying to develop concentration, we're trying to develop consistency at not getting lost, okay? And where are we going to get lost? Back into the hindrances, lost out of the present moment. So we're basically going to be developing the skill that we need to keep the mind focused on being in the present moment, being here now. Another way of thinking about this or talking about it would be that we're only going to allow wholesome thoughts into the mind and not allow unwholesome thoughts to come in or if they do come in we catch them quick and throw them right back out again what are unwholesome thoughts the kind of thoughts that will take us out of our state of satisfaction Allah hindrances and what are the thoughts that we are going to allow the wholesome thoughts are the kind of thoughts that will keep us in the state of satisfaction. And it's that simple. But wow, is it profound, because now for the first time in our lives, we're actually systematically taking control and deciding what kind of thoughts we're going to think. Okay. Okay. Now, this is what schools try to invite the kids to do, but they don't have this kind of dedication to it. We're actually beginning to get really, not devoted, I don't like the word devoted, but dedicated or enthusiastic about being able to actually think the kind of thoughts that we want to think. Wow, what liberation that is. Because very few people think the kind of thoughts they want to think, they think the kind of thoughts are in the habit of thinking. But now we decide, no, I don't have to think what I've been thinking. I can think of something new now. Something worthwhile. Something that's worth keeping in mind. So in fact, what we're doing this way is is that we're kind of like drawing a fence in a pasture or maybe it's a fence between a pasture and a desert. So as we keep the mind in the pasture and prevent the mind from going into the desert, keeping it out of the hindrances, okay? Or maybe drawing the boundary or the line, the fence is... um, it's okay to be on the street, but you can't go into the bank to borrow money. Okay, no, 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 indebtedness. Okay, so Ooh. we begin to set boundaries within the mind about what we're going to allow thoughts to be there. This means that we got to start being on guard. This is the quality of applied and sustained thought: is that we can be on guard. And here's the here's the really good part about it. Is that if you feel really good and your own guard, then when bad feelings or thoughts come up, we can see them from a state of joy, a state of satisfaction, rather than in the normal way that we entertain these thoughts and feelings, is by being those thoughts and feelings. For instance, if anger comes up, we can say, Oh, I don't need that. <laughs> But if we are in an ordinary state, then when anger comes up, now we have to say, I am angry. Mm-hmm. Because I've identified with it. I've joined it. But now that we have separated ourselves from all of those feelings, whenever one of them arises, it always arises from something that's the basically the outside rather than from the inside.
1: Yeah.
0: And what I mean by that is, is that this feeling that arises is not me not I. I am not those those thoughts. I am not those feelings. I just merely see them arise. As we continue to practice with this and get good at it, what we do in, then we begin to close down the mind. In other words, what we do, not close it down into, uh, let me rephrase that completely. We're not closing down the mind. We're sitting down tighter boundaries of where we're going to allow the mind to go we're going to start restricting it in the beginning we restricted from just between the wholesome and the unwholesome but later we're going to start restricting it further and further down to where an example would be a particular chant that the monks would say or maybe even a song that you sing, and you keep repeating that song over and over and over and over again because that gets the mind really focused right down into there. This is a very valuable technique that the monks use that they chant and then they sit in meditation together because that chanting really gets the mind focused. The only thing the mind is thinking about is saying the words of that chant. Okay. Another way of looking at that would then be like counting the breath which is what Yuri and I were talking about uh, when, as you were first calling, that he was mixing too many techniques. Mm -hmm. Because the counting of the breath means now we've gotten the mind down really, really focused. So that the only words that we allow are are words that are um, single digit numbers. Mm -hmm. That's the only words we allow in the mind. One, two, okay we can then hone it down even further to where there's only two words that we allow in the mind. One word on the in-breath and one word on the out-breath, so there's a very long boo, doh, with boo on the in-breath and doh on the out-breath. If we can get the mind now so focused that we can get it down to just two words, Then maybe we got a chance of getting it down even further to where at the end of that out breath, at the end of that dough, we don't take a new in-breath and we don't start thinking. We just leave it empty, a void mind. We can then control that void mind. That is the second genre. But we're in that state on a regular basis. Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa says, if we didn't have void mind on a regular basis, that the human being would burn up. And I know some people who do. Mm. They just cannot give themselves a little nirvana. They cannot take a rest. Okay. But here we can actually develop it. Mm. Mm. But when now we leave that state, and when we start talking, the way to do it skillfully is now to come back into 1st jhana as opposed to fall all the way out. Okay. This is what then leads us to a deeper understanding of what it means by the middle path. Because if if we see the middle path in its ordinary form, we think that everything is a middle path. And in fact, there's mm-hmm. right because there's always a middle path between two extremes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. But now we have to define, well, if this is the middle path, what are the extremes that we are? Those are the extremes is what defines where the middle path is. Mm-hmm. And so normally uh, the extremes are thought about as sensuality, sensual desire and uh, self-torture or self-flagellation, because the Buddha actually practiced uh, that with the guys. Uh, he had five five friends that went around with him wherever he went When until uh, uh, that time when he got so thin from not eating that he fell into the creek and then had the realization that, hey, he doesn't even have the strength to get up out of this creek. How is he going to be uh, strong enough to rid his life of dukkha and so that's when he started eating again they saw him eat they didn't like him they became disgusted that he had quit their path that they had been on for so long Mm -hmm. and they took a hike okay this is the point then that when after he figured out what the dhamma was he went back to them And they agreed to sit to listen to what he had to say, because after all, he really looked good. He was radiant. He had figured it out.
1: Mm.
0: (laughs) And so the, the first thing he told them was about the middle path. But you have to consider what they had been doing together, the whole group of them, as the two extremes. To where mostly when we hear about sensual desire, that means the brothel. That means getting drunk and, and beha- badly behaving because that's a form of sensual desire. Mm-hmm. But those higher jhanas are also a form of sensual desire
1: mm-hmm.
0: because it's a very, very pleasant abiding. Mm-hmm. And so what happened then was the people who were practicing this would zip right to first jhana into second jhana off into the wilderness and I've seen guys like that in Burma that they sit in the meditation hall. Most of them spend about 16 hours a day, but a couple of them spend 24 hours a day there. Do you want to live that kind of life? No. <laughs> no, neither do I. <laughs> no, that's not the jhana dude, is not the path. <laughs> not for anybody that I know. No, we want a more wholesome path. And yeah. that's where we stay. The middle path then is between harming ourselves or self-flagellation and seeking pleasure in these higher jhana states or in the bravo. Either way, that's the same thing. But the important point is, is that the ordinary mind of hindrances is a way of self-flagellation. It is the first jhana that winds up being the actual middle path. The middle path where all of the jhana factors of the first jhana are there and we have joy, we have happiness, we have sukha, we have pity, we have a mind that's sharp and fit for work, and we're taking deep breaths and we're having a beautiful moment. That is the kind of life that we want to live. Okay, so the life, and so we can think of it then is the development of the dhamma in a way is the development of being able to get into and really sustain this first jhana. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And when we catch ourselves out of it, we bring ourselves right back into it. That the Buddha does say that the first uh, jhana is in fact a path to enlightenment. And this is how it's done. When we understand fully that this first jhana is a state that anyone can get into, but few of us can maintain. So to go back over it now, even more so, we've got to figure out how to maintain this state. It's by being on guard to make sure that we know what we're thinking. Because if we start thinking what we normally are thinking, Is going to pull us out of that state of satisfaction right into a state of dissatisfaction. Yeah. Yeah. So, on guard. Mm.
1: Yeah.
0: One One of the examples that I use about this is, in fact, the bouncer at the bar.
1: Mm hmm.
0: And that is, is that we've got a bouncer that's standing at the door, and he's going to stand at the door of the bar to check who comes into the bar. And he only lets the right kind of people into the bar. They got to be dressed properly and uh, and clean and all of that. No shabby. But then sometimes he has to go into the bar to take care of a rowdy customer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so we have to do, be able to have that capability of both. As one, we've got to guard the mind to keep this stuff out. But then when we find it has already invaded the mind, we got to catch it quick and throw it out. Yeah. Now that can be either a thought or a feeling. And in fact, if you look at the, the, the details of the hindrances, you can see that they're both. They are both thoughts and feelings. So any kind of feeling that is a restlessness or an agitation, that's kind of a feeling. But um, uh, random thoughts or what we call junk thoughts or just letting the mind wander around is sure to conjure up bad feelings. We're most likely to run into problems that need to be solved. And there we are, dissatisfied. Now we've got a problem to solve. Yeah. And funny, it's almost like a catch-22 with humans. We've gotten so much into the habit. You see, originally it looked like that the human being was best designed, the brain was best designed for pattern matching. And we're very, very good at pattern matching. We can see things. I'm talking about the way that the human frontal cortex operates. At our best, we're really excellent pattern matching. Okay, we're really, really good at pattern matching. We're not very good at seeing the truth. We have to be able to put a whole lot of pattern. Uh, we have to be able to connect a whole lot of dots and see a whole lot of patterns before the truth emerges. And that's generally too much for the poor human brain.
1: <laughs> now it, I couldn't hear the, the, it froze the. Can you say that again? I couldn't hear you.: Yes,
0: I, okay. <laughs> I said that the human brain is um, pattern matching or yeah. connecting the dots. Mm-hmm. But, and we're very good at that, but we're not very good at seeing the truth because that requires more pattern matching that we're quite capable of. It takes a lot of pattern matching to be able to really connect the dots to the point that we can see how things really are.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. it's hard to do. But it and it takes a lot of investigation, a lot of putting the dots together. But okay. the point that I was about to make is, is that there is another function that the humans have given themselves, and that is we become problem solving machines.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And, but yet generally if a if a person has turned has turned himself into a problem solving machine, then if he has no problems to solve then his identity is lost. (laughs) Who am I? Therefore, I've really got a problem now if I don't have any problems to solve. So let me go create some problems Mm -hmm. to solve. Mm -hmm. And then I have an identity again. Now I know who I am.
1: I'm so fed up with the problem solving,
0: so I don't really want to. Especially when we recognize that almost all the problems that we've ever solved were manufactured and unnecessary (laughs) to solve. They were not. (laughs) 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 Yes. So if we can come back then to being uh, just merely uh, a dot connector in the sense of just investigating. Just investigating. That's what right view is all about, is just keeping investigating, keep looking, keep noticing that uh, we can stay out of that problem solving. In fact, we can begin to see that we don't need to solve any problems. There really is no place much to go when we're really satisfied. When we're unsatisfied, now we got things to do, we got places to go, we got people to meet, we got the deals to run, we got lies to tell, we got bad actions to perform. <laughs> because we think that there's a problem to be solved. When in fact, we got no problems. We got none. And so that's the Zen side of the story. Mm-hmm. And so by recognizing over and over and over again, we got no problems. That this is good enough, we can maintain that first jhana. As mm-hmm. soon as we give ourselves a problem to solve, we've pulled ourselves back into the ordinary world of problem solving. So be very careful about problems that arise. Yeah. Things to do. Mm-hmm. Have a to-do list that is absolutely empty and you've lost the pencil.
1: Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is worth writing, writing down. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm just teasing you on that one. I'm I not know. suggesting anything.
1: <laughs>
0: but basically, that's how we begin to live our life: is no appointments, no uh, duties. Um, the calendar becomes less important, and that. Uh, if we decide that that kind of lifestyle is desirable, then we begin to set things up that way. The wisdom is, is get, uh, get yourself into the state where you're capable of living the kind of lifestyle that you actually want to live.
1: I've been trying to do that for many years. I don't have much around, actually, as little as possible. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But so some things... I have to have but yeah the
0: less we own the less we are in debt yeah, yeah exactly that people I, I don't think own I, want.
1: yeah I never was much of a materialistic person anyway so um, that's not
0: the a big problem
1: there are other <laughs> other problems there have been other problems yeah I Well I is. look
0: at your house and you look like you're in a mansion to me <laughs> <laughs>
1: This, this is a, a, a rental apartment, so it, no, <laughs> it's a very cheap place. Well, I do
0: not suggest that you trash the place just to make it look rustic. <laughs> 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 it looks quite beautiful. But in any case, uh, the whole idea then is to, to want little, to be satisfied with little, mm-hmm. And that's that's got some question 22s to it. Every time that I think about that term, satisfied with little, I come across uh, one of my, uh, actually he's a dear friend of mine and uh, uh, a very good Dhamma teacher, uh, an excellent monk of 27 years, but he wants too little. Oh, yeah. Uh Which (laughs) means that he rejects my gifts and I don't like that a little bit. I wanted I, I want him to be kind enough to accept my gifts, mm, yeah. but I think he knows that if uh, if he takes one, he'll get dumped. <laughs> I'll just <laughs> throw it, <him>, you know. <laughs> but anyway, that's how monks have the idea is, is that they're they're uh, they don't want to be a burden on the lay people, mm-hmm. and so they want to be satisfied with very very little.
1: Yeah,
0: but we can have that kind of mentality within the lay community also. Becoming satisfied with, with little, that we don't have to have a big fancy house to be satisfied. And in fact, as far as I know, everybody who's got a big fancy house is not satisfied, they want a bigger, fancier house. Yeah. So learning to be really satisfied with what we have is a major part of the teaching of the Buddha. And that's also um, part of what we call the four requisites. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do a retreat at Wat Suan Mo, part of those four requisites is a poem that they re- that the students read all together. In fact, it's on a little piece of paper about mindfulness of eating. And so mindfulness of eating or being able to be satisfied with just just enough to eat and be satisfied with just enough clothing. A pair of pants will do. I'm not sure about a shirt depends upon your weather. <laughs> <laughs> and I think in the West, uh, it's, it's very spotted and in many places, people do not have access to the proper medical care. And if we don't have good medical care, then that's going to be suffering. But if we have good medical care or at least adequate medical care, adequate clothing, adequate food and adequate shelter, then everything else is up to the mind, and you know something? I read um, a long article in psychology about that about 20 years ago. That psychology has proved that that there are less basic levels of poverty, by which if someone is below this level of poverty, there is absolutely real suffering involved. Mm-hmm. But if yeah. they can come above that level of poverty to just a basic income, then they're good, and yeah. they're going to stay good no matter how much more money they have. Mm.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, There's just it's kind of like a, a station or, or, or one size fits all, and you're either below that and suffering mm. or you're up to that level. And once you have that, that's all we really need. And yet our culture is all defining about more and more and more and more and more. But uh, uh, there's only that one seed of truth in that, and that is to set more only enough up to a basic level. And after that, more doesn't help at all.
1: No. One has but to just, take care of everything, too. And that's, that can be. Become... The more
0: you own, the more there is yeah. to do. <laughs> you yeah. take care of it if you're attached to it, right? Yeah. Or you could just let it fall apart. Yes, that too. Yeah. Uh and you'd be surprised at how many things have fallen apart at a wad in Thailand.
1: Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Watson milk is strewn with uh, uh, the remnants of metal bowls that have been half eaten to the where that it's only the rim of the bowl that can be exposed because the rest of it's been eaten away by nature.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: That's one of the things that they that they that it's um, kind of a tradition uh-huh. of uh, leaving bowl leaving the bowl itself with food in it out for the animals. Okay. So once we get to that level of basic physical needs that we have to get met, after mm-hmm. that we don't need to do anything. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, our society doesn't allow that. Mm. Maybe because the rents are too high. Mm.
1: Yeah.
0: Or maybe it's because the people are expecting that they have to pay a whole lot of rent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, but cheap housing is an issue that needs to be addressed, especially in the United States by the government. But oh. the people whom themselves that ha- don't have adequate housing could band together and do a whole lot of good things, mm-hmm. but they don't. But we do need to have at least up to a level of decent housing, mm. which for me in Thailand here, a porch will do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. does get cold. Sometimes I have to go in the house when they – uh uh, when it's very very hard, wind blowing, rain, mm. which was just yesterday, we had a really big one.
1: Uh-huh.
0: So, uh huh. So once we get this state, this state of uh, everything that needs to be done has been done mm. uh, on that physical level,
1: mm.
0: is then there's nothing left to do except to get the mind straightened out. Yeah, And there's nothing really left to do after that. Now we can enjoy our life. Mm. Because our, our needs are little, our wants are few, and our burden is really easy. Yeah, And so this is the main reason then why we want to be able to sustain that state of joy. To mm. sustain that state of uh, satisfaction. But in order to do that, we have to really start to control what's in the mind because the reason we haven't been in a state of satisfaction all along is because the mind was in places that was mm-hmm. preventing us from being in that state of satisfaction. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> don't go into the past. Stay in the present moment. Yeah. Don't go into the future warning things because wanting something you don't have is suffering. That is not... the the goal and yet so many people that's a very interesting thing so many westerners they want enlightenment Mm
1: -hmm.
0: wanting something you don't have is suffering so they're actually adding to their misery by wanting something that maybe last year they didn't even know about Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and now they want it and they want it and they want it to where really the point is is that see that wanting right now and stop wanting anything right now. To mm. become satisfied right now and then stay satisfied right now. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's simple. <laughs> it's actually a simple practice.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> but not very easy <clears throat>
0: sometimes. Actually, it is each it, time we do it. The yes. only time when it's hard is when we have forgotten to do it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> not hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's hard when we're scolding ourselves. You should have done that already.
1: Mm.
0: It's okay you're doing it now, but you should have been already doing this, you know.
1: <laughs> could, could it be seen as some kind of investigation to realize the hindrances, to find out that th- this is a hindrance I've been having for a very long time and then to be able to let it go?
0: Yes, but I would not think that if you're in that state of satisfaction that you've already found that hindrance and oh. thrown it out. And you're now in that state of real satisfaction. So if it comes back again, you're going to say, out you go. You're not even going to get in. Yeah,
1: but, but that's one thing I, I discovered this. It was a, a big thing to see for me. I didn't see it as a hindrance in that way before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now I could see it's been a main one for me because it, it was kind of subtle uh, to discover. In a way, as a hindrance. Uh, so I think, yeah, that that makes sense.
0: Mm. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. now, but now that now that <clears throat> you've identified that, mm. congratulations. That's exactly what the Buddha teaches, and I'll um, uh, share that with you, even though it's a bit in retrospect. But he uses the analogy of a of of an elephant mm-hmm. that is tied up. Uh, by vines and ropes and whatever they had 2,500 years ago, and that he would be tied up to normally um, a stake, a big, like almost a tree trunk-sized stake, uh, uh, pounded into the ground. And yet that elephant, especially the bigger and, and uh, more adult the elephant is, the more likely he's going to tug. They also, by the way, they, they bound him by the, the left hind leg the left one because the right one is normally stronger so now the elephant is standing on three legs swinging that left leg back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until he uh pulls that stake out of the ground or breaks the rope and now off he goes but guess what the manute the the trainers know right where he's going yeah he goes home (laughs) And they grab him again, and they bring him back, and they stick him out again, and after 5 or 10, 20 times, he keeps getting free, and he gets caught again. He stops trying to escape. Mm. Mm. The same thing happens with our mind in many respects. One is, is that when the mind does escape, it tends to have favorite places it goes to. Mm. Yeah. It goes back to the same old hindrances over and over and over again. Mm. And so you can begin to catch that. You can be, aha, I see, I've been there before. Mm-hmm. Aha, I see you. I've been seeing where you keep going. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the repetitive quality of the mind, we begin to figure that out. We begin to see that these hindrances run in circles. So, would you say that
1: uh, hindrances? Is- I've discovered many of them, and I think I've been able to let them go, too. But would you say that the hindrances one discovers later would be the most, uh, those who are most buried in a way? or
0: uh... Yes, that's true. And we can still continue to talk of them as hindrances, even though the practitioner has gained great skill. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, when uh, anger or ill will is known as uh, generally the fifth fetter, mm-hmm. and it is generally di- difficult for people to deal with, and when it arises, it always arises as a hindrance, of course. That's exactly what we would think of it arising as. And when it's there, is a hindrance, but it's got deeper roots. And the deeper root for that, uh, that hindrance that arises in the moment is what we call the fetter of ill will. Okay. And that we can catch that anger over and over and over again, like catching that elephant. And eventually the elephant will no longer try to escape. Or in fact, the way to think about it is, is that the anger... The anger will always be there, but it, it will eventually get really easy to catch it. Okay. It'll get really easy to catch that anger when it comes up. Yeah. And then eventually you'll say, you know, it's been months since I've been angry. And I yeah. look back and I say, you know, I haven't been angry at all. Yeah. is amazing. that di-
1: Yeah, is that different for different people or is it similar that everyone... Uh, First gets rid of anger or doubt or whatever.
0: According to the, according to the Buddha, and in many ways, uh, we can see that there is a something of a process. And that something of the process, we have to understand, for instance, that we can see a fetter or we can see a hindrance in a concept but it's hard to see it in action. And then it's really even hard to see it because it's hard to see in action with very many layers of things. It's then even harder to uproot it from that deep level. So the aspect that I'm putting here then is being able to see that anger is non-appropriate is the first kind of fetter. We have to be able to see that anger is harmful in all cases. Because a whole lot of us, and in fact for years I had the idea, well, some of my anger is righteous. Sometimes I get what I want by being angry. Therefore, there is use to anger. Mm-hmm. And it took a while to begin to figure out for sure, no, in no case, mm-hmm. under no circumstances is anger the appropriate way. You can probably get what you want easier by not getting angry. Yeah. And so under no circumstances is angry good. Until we have that kind of knowledge, we will still kind of let it happen. It's kind of okay right now. The the anger is not really good in general, but it's kind of okay to have it now. But once we come to that realization, no, anger out. Then, now with that firm understanding about it, we can deal with that anger. But guess what? Once we deal with the anger, we begin to see that there's some things underlying that anger. There's some deeper issues going on. Yeah,
1: okay.
0: And that we can now begin, once we begin to see the anger and peel away at it, we can also begin to peel away at the deeper things.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: That in fact, in our normal culture, we can see some of these deeper things, we just don't know what to do about it or how to manage it. For instance, Pride has been known in Christianity for a long time. They just don't know what to do with it or uh, um, how to handle it. And so they have the idea that hum- humility and humbleness is the antidote for pride.
1: Mm.
0: Okay. But if you look at it from the Buddhist perspective, there may be some problems with pride, but at least it's a winner's position. Humility is a loser's position. Let's turn that roar of the uh, pride into the roar of a lion because he's really a winner. You see, one who is prideful only halfway thinks that he's uh, the, the champion. He's proud of being the champion, and he wants to prove that like the gunslingers in the old west, the young gunslinger is looking for the old gunslinger so he can get his reputation built up he's going to get killed like that (laughs) but his reputation you see of i'm wanting to prove myself this is where pride comes and that's why they say that pride cometh before a fall within buddhism we actually can see that in the sense of conceit and comparing contrasting or competing with other people rather than being friends
1: yeah okay
0: so in that regard friendship is an overall antidote to conceit not humility because humility still has the quality of one up and one down Hmm. but when we come out of the conceit that we have of the i am Which is a very deeply buried thing. It comes, it springs basically right out of the uh, self preservation instinct. And it is founded in fear. But when we are completely fearless and we have no fear, then there's no reason to have any feelings of competition towards our fellow men. They're all friends now. That's an amazing point for people to begin to recognize. Oh, that's why the Buddha says friendship is half the path. No, it's the whole path.
1: Yeah.
0: Why? Because the friendship and the qualities of friendship attack these very, very deeply buried uh, uh, tendencies of of anger and uh, fear uh, and uh, uh, feelings of inadequacy. And wanting to compete with someone to prove that I'm good enough and all of that kind of stuff. But when we are free from fear and free from anger, then we can meet people equally and be friends with them. Yeah. And so friendship is a major quality, a major part of the teaching of the Buddha. This is what we actually mean by the Sangha.
1: Mm. is
0: when the Sangha is, is um, um, uh, a set of, of friends who really understand how the mind works together. So, now that's the answer then to your question is kind of like this. Even though things are in layers, still, the wise people in the world, even though they don't know how to cure the problem, they can see these problems. Okay? That all of the religions can see all of these higher fetters, but we actually begin to work on them and eliminating them by uh, having the skills of eliminating the easier things. And we begin gain skill and confidence as well as the skills uh, with that strength. We become very powerful. We're capable of actually happily seeing our own conceit. Because normally we don't want to think that ourselves are conceited. We want to win without the contest. (laughs) But when we recognize that the win is the win against our own defilements rather than winning over someone else, that's the big deal. That the competition is, if it's right, it's the competition to be able to guard our mind and keep unwholesome stuff out of it. And so there winds up being altogether ten fetters and that we can see and begin to work on the higher fetters even before we finished working on the lower fetters. But generally, it's only after we finish the lower fetters that we can see some of the attributes of the high fetters and then we can deal with them. Mm-hmm. So you can you can get rid of a great deal of pride, but after you get rid of the ill will, you'll begin to see there's remnants of pride that also needs to be looked at. Yeah. Okay, Okay. that's the way that it goes. Everything is in all of these layers. And it's really hard to dig stuff up that's buried down 10 feet when your shovel is only five feet in.
1: Mm.
0: Yes. Okay. Mm. But these things are known about. Humanity knows the problems that need to be solved. Mm. Every religion has a very firm handle on exactly what needs to be done they just don't have a firm handle on how to do it. Only the practice yeah. of the Buddha has that part yes. of this stuff, yeah. uh, the issue solved. Mm. Everybody now, else is looking for magical solutions to real problems.
1: Yeah. Now I see. I see this teaching you have given. <laughs> it's so wonderful to experience because that's the m- missing piece for me. It really puts things into place and i can see the context everything you're saying now it, it just makes sense of of what i've been wondering about wondering about because it was this thing the the practice thing the core thing that you talk about that's it and uh, yeah so so uh, it, it's um, it goes really deep for me to find out about this. So all the
0: way to the so core. This is this is down at the bottom of that stuff, and it's yes. all instinctual down at that level. Yes. So that does not mean that we have to run, be have our lives run by those instincts, mm-hmm. but by understanding them and seeing directly what they're doing, we can can take control over them.
1: Yes. I, in a way, I've been doing it, but I didn't know what I I, did, I was doing before. Uh, I did it but uh, well I didn't get it like this
0: Mm -hmm. so
1: it's 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 good to really
0: understand to put that practical and that conceptualization together and so I can add that conceptualization to it but I really wish I could give you the actual experience of it but since Mm -hmm. you've already gotten that kind of on your own already that's the intention so now you've got them both together. That's what makes the teaching really solid is Mm. when we when our experience absolutely spot on matches the actual teachings of the Buddha. Then we say, wow, got it. It's
1: it's kind of amazing. It's so amazing. Uh, Yeah. And it's enough. Even that even if I'm going to well. I am going to keep doing it because of this. Uh, it's kind of, it's so inspiring and it's so, I want to know more, but the, at the same time, there's no, I have to do it. It's just-
0: uh, You're it's eager. Just, You're, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's that's <laughs> the word that the Buddha actually uses that we become uh, eager for the Dhamma. Yeah. That's that's the, the whole point of becoming a uh, stream entry. Uh-huh. The whole point of stream entry is, is that we are now uh, choosing this is going to be the stream that I'm going to live in. This is my life.
1: Okay.
0: Hmm. So if we find out it's not a stream at all, no. it's a real <laughs> gusher. <laughs> it is a tsunami. <laughs> yeah. it, it's a flood. reality is like that it's a flood so um Hmm. but as we stick stick, uh, with enthusiasm we put our toe in and then our ankle and then we continue (laughs) to go in and that enthusiasm is what takes us into it is oh i like this i want more
1: yes yeah
0: become eager
1: yeah I remember I, I kind of had that when I started meditation a long time ago, but then it, it became more of a should and I forced myself and then I stopped. So I've been doing it now and then, but I, I didn't really get it. And uh, now I, I, I just do it and I keep doing it even if I'm not sitting down to do it. I, I As soon as I remember and it, it's always there and it exactly. I can see why this, this is what...
0: works. That it really shows can- that the skills are being developed. You're developing that skill. That's uh-huh. why right effort turns into, into an energy. Mm-hmm. It just, okay. the skill is there now. In the beginning, it's a lot of effort. But after you develop that skill of putting in the effort, it becomes easy. You become used to it.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of I'm I'm it's kind of, I don't know about this word but but it's kind of mind blowing, in a way <laughs> it's like wow, uh, how how can this be? It's I'm very amazed about the whole thing how, how it how we lose it,
0: language, yeah, we don't have the right language and so we use strange language like amaz- yes. I'm not amazed. No, <laughs> I'm not amazed. I'm not in a maze. I'm not lost in a maze. No, no. And I'm not blown away. I mean, here no. I am. The wind is not blowing. <laughs> I'm not blown away. <laughs> but, so we don't have the kind of language that, and it's all almost a, uh, an uh, how to say an emotional language that we're trying to convey. Mm-hmm. And if it could be properly put into words, it would be ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <It's> like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> it's really the wake up. That's it, and so yep. all of that after that is really hard to put the right kind of words for it. Yeah. But but uh, this is actually kind of what we mean by the word insight. When we use the word insight,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: it doesn't have the power that what we're talking about has. The power is, is that it... it <laughs> Even if I say it grabs you, it doesn't actually grab you. <laughs> it no. doesn't have the power <laughs> to grab you. <laughs> and so all, our, all of our language fails yeah. at the actual experience of uh, being able to see something really clearly for the first time and we know that we've got it now.
1: yeah Yeah. <laughs>
0: And we keep practicing and that feeling keeps getting deeper and deeper. Yep, this is it. There's no other way. This is it. I've got it. Yeah. And that's what, that actually, those kind of feelings is what leads into that enthusiasm that we're talking about, as well as then the delight. Okay. And so these are the things that are actually part of the path. And, and next time that you call, and I'll go over with you then in detail uh, what I have just uh, done a flyby. I've, done, I've just done a flyover of the stuff that we'll talk about next time. And that is what are the, what are the steps, what are the formalized steps to Soda upon? Okay. They are formalized.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They are this, these are they, are, they are those knowledges, and I've actually uh, today talked about, but not in detail, any of them, but I've talked about step three. I generally talk about step one, but today with you, we've been talking about step six over and over and over again. That's the state of enthusiasm. When we really get enthusiastic, when we get eager for the Dhamma, that's an important quality of the path. That's in fact the main thing that we're looking for for uh, a teacher's organization. We're looking for for teachers who have enthusiasm for the Dhamma.
1: Okay.
0: And as you can tell, people do get enthusiastic about this. This stuff is just (laughs) enthusiasm building. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yes. (laughs) <laughs>
0: all right well let's finish this off here and we'll go next time and do a little bit deeper because we talked a bit about the fetters today and so we need to actually get a more formalized method of what the, the events are in,
1: mm-hmm.
0: this, in this path
1: yeah
0: thank you so very much it's <laughs>
1: yeah
0: i don't know how it's, to thank
1: you but yeah
0: i know Exactly how you feel, because I feel that way towards Vikkhu Buddha Dasa and Uh towards Dajan Po. Yeah, yeah. Very grateful.
1: Yeah, yes. (laughs) Really, thank you.
0: (laughs) Okay, Agnes, we'll see you later.
1: Yeah, (laughs) bye-bye.